According to Cedar Sinai, approximately 20 to 50,000 people in the United States have osteogenesis imperfecta, also known as brittle bone disease. Catherine Clamidis was born with brittle bone disease and she spent her entire life communicating through the great gift of art. Catherine is a firm believer that we're all given opportunities for happiness in life and in work. However, if we fail to take advantage of those opportunities, we'll never know what is possible. And for her, she's had her business for over a decade, painting the future for her family, friends, and clients. And she's leading by example. One painting, one encounter, and one conversation at a time. She found some time in her busy schedule to stop by the program to join me this week to talk about perseverance, inspiration, art, design, and so much more. If you want an inspirational way to end a busy work week, well, I'm Kevin McShan. Let's have this conversation. Take a moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to learn all about your life journey this afternoon. Thank you. Yeah, so that sounds great. Yeah, thanks so very much for being here. Yeah. So, Catherine, I want to dive right into your story, but before we do that, I know that you sort of live your life by a motto that we're all presented with opportunities in life to sort of advance, but unless we take advantage of those opportunities, they'll go by the wayside. So I'm wondering if you can tell me all about it. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I think this applies to anybody, not, you know, not just people with disabilities. Um, I think that in life we are generally, um, I mean, certainly sometimes opportunities fall into our laps, um, but more often we have to create what we want. You know, and um, I've certainly found that in my business, uh, I've had to, you know, kind of push myself and make the connections that I wanted to shape my business the way I want it to look. And, you know, I, I think that's anybody. That's how people get to the top, you know, is they figure out what they want and then they go out and they get it. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people that we're all given a platform to make a difference in life, and it's up to all of us to deter uh, determine which direction we want to go with it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, you always have the choice. You know, 
It may not always seem like it, but you always have a choice. Yeah, life is full of choices for sure. And I, I know that uh, you were uh, uh, born and diagnosed with brittle bone disease. And by the uh, age of 10, you had broken up to 500 bones, but you weren't going to let that uh, serve as a barrier to progress. So uh, I'm wondering if you could tell me all about your inspiring journey. <laughs> Sure. So I was born with a genetic bone disease called osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, it basically means that my bones break easily and they grow abnormally. So um, I am actually only two foot seven inches tall. I use an electric wheelchair to get around. Um, and yeah, I, I break bones a lot. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the short of it. Um, of course, before puberty, i broke a lot more um, because, you know, once you get, once you go through that, it, it lessens, but um, I mean, it still happens, you know, relatively often. And yeah, so by the time I was 10, we kind of stopped counting how many bones I had broken. Um, and it was about 500 at that point. So, you know, I'm 33 now, so a lot. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, my parents, I grew up with two parents who were veterinarians. So that actually was very helpful because they were in the medical field and it, um, you know, it was helpful to have people in my house that could handle my issues. You know, I didn't necessarily have to go to the hospital every time I broke something because, you know, if I had, I would have basically lived in the hospital. Um, you know, they had, access to materials to handle my broken bones. And, um, you know, we had access to my, also my grandfather is a doctor. So that made my life a lot easier as well. Um, and yeah, and just the fact that they had medical knowledge was very helpful. Um, and they also, it was kind of, I think maybe leading into one of the next questions, but, um, they also made sure that I was always in a mainstream school, even though I was basically the only person in a wheelchair from the time I was, you know, in kindergarten and pre-K to the time I was a senior in high school. And um, they, uh, you know, I couldn't always do what all of my friends were doing, right? So all my friends could walk and run and play baseball and soccer and all that stuff. And so my parents got me into art when I was really young and that has completely shaped my life. You know, I started painting when I was five and now I've made a career out of it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, my journey. Yeah, indeed. It's an inspiring one for sure. And I have, as I shared with you, I also have a disability. I have, um, uh, cerebral palsy, and I also use a wheelchair to get around as yeah. well. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering your perspective too on the advantages having to use an electric wheelchair provides, because I believe that there are some tactical and some practical advantages sometimes to using a wheelchair. So I'm wondering if you would uh, share that same sentiment. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I got my first wheelchair when I was about two. Uh, it went exactly one mile an hour. Um, <laughs> and um, I ran into a lot of walls, you know, it, 
took a little while to, to work on that learning curve, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm much better now most of the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean it, so before I was, you know, before I got my chair, uh, I mean, I was bored, you know, I was, I was a typical two-year-old, you know, I wanted to see everything and do everything and ask about everything. And my parents basically had to move me around, you know, they had, it's not like I could get up and walk, you know, and go look at something when I wanted to. So me getting a wheelchair gave me a little bit you know, as much independence as I could possibly get. Um, you know, the other thing about having a good solid chair is that it makes you feel more secure. You know, when you're, um, when it's easy for you to get hurt, like it is for me to get hurt, mm-hmm. having a 400 pound piece of equipment that moves around with you, you know, is, is helpful. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody's tipping it over. You know, because um, it's, again, 400 pounds. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that it also provides a sense of security and it allows you to, or at least it allows me to um, take part in social activities that I wouldn't necessarily be able to take part in. And, of course, it has disadvantages. I mean, you know, I'm sure this happens to you all the time where you go somewhere and there's no ramp or there's no elevator. And, you know, you can't get in and it's a pain. And but but I think it's getting better. Like in general, I think society is it's accessibility is becoming more of a thing. I would say within the last few years and at least I live in New Orleans. So at least in New Orleans, it has been, you know, more in the forefront. And, you know, it's going to get better, just like everything else takes time. Yeah, slow and steady wins the race, doesn't yep. it? Yeah. So, Catherine, I, uh, I wanted to also ask you about your definition of perseverance and inclusion. What does that look like for you? Well, uh, well, perseverance would just be, um, you know, I, my dad always taught me that you just throw a bunch of stuff up on, on the wall and see what sticks. You know, that used to be one of his favorite uh, quotes. And that's perseverance. I mean, you just keep trying and trying and trying. And eventually, at some point, something will stick and something will work out. Um, Even if, you know, you've thrown a million things up against the wall, it just takes one. Uh, So, you know, I think that's perseverance. And that's what I've always tried to do. Um, Inclusion, you know, I, it's funny you ask that. One of the things I advocate for especially is school inclusion um and i'm not sure what your your school um experience was but again i was in a mainstream school and not only did that help me because you know i learned how to be how to be around able-bodied people in a normal social atmosphere you know and that for every kid that's important um but my friends learned how to be around somebody who is a little different, you know, and they, now that they're adults, they don't stare at people in wheelchairs in public, you know, they go up to them and they talk to them because being around somebody in a wheelchair is not weird to them. You know, they, they've been around somebody in a wheelchair since they were kids. And so me being in class with them 
taught them just as much as it taught me, you know? So, um, I mean, I think it's important to include everyone in society as much as you can, but if you can start early in school, then all of these social issues that people with disabilities often have, they would just go away, you know? Yeah, I was also, I spent the uh, first uh, three years of my existence, I guess, at a, a show. So I live in, in, in Canada. Um, okay. So I spent the first uh, three years of my educational um, existence anyway at, in a children's treatment uh, sort of center. Uh, and then I transitioned to a mainstream school when it was time to start uh Kindergarten, and I uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. We're the uh, so I'm 33 too, so we're the same age. Um, so I also agree that uh, being placed in a mainstream school helps with a social and societal settings for sure. So I agree with that as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know, Catherine, I I live my life through a saying that I've coined that inclusion is the gateway to independence. And you sort of alluded to this in your last answer, but I wanted to dive just a little bit deeper into social inclusion and the importance of advocating for it uh, for folks with disabilities, because, you know, when I was younger, uh, just like you, I, I, I struggled a little bit with uh, social isolation. And to this day, I uh, still do. One, one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast was to sort of uh, fill the gap of, of social isolation when I couldn't get outside and go from point A to point B. So uh, tell me about the importance of building a community of support and so social inclusion uh, from your perspective? Well, I mean, just human nature. Everyone wants to be included, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just human nature. We all want to be accepted and we all want to be included in the group, you know? Um, I think that, I think that society is sometimes, I mean, you can just look at the news and make this conclusion. Um, I think society is sometimes very close-minded. And I think that that is partly because, um, I think I think it's because people who may be different from, you know, wh whoever is in question, um, they're nervous about being around, you know, people who may not look like them or people who may not act like them or people who can't do the things that they can do. And um, again, like if, if, people were, if students and kids were included all together in school, that problem may not exist. Um, I mean, I, you know, my thing is parents, I hear parents say, oh yes, school's important for learning, you know, math and English and science. But quite honestly, half of the importance of school is learning how to be social. I mean, that's, you know, that's, half of what you learn you know you learn how to work in a group and you learn how to interact with other kids your age and you even learn how to interact with adults you know with with your teachers 
Um, and that is really important for when you become an adult and you have to function in society. And, you know, if you don't get that as a child, then it's going to be a lot harder to transition. Yeah, 100%. And one of the ways that you've sort of uh, put yourself out there and, 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 and sort of stuck your claim to society is by starting uh, your art and design business, your last or your senior season at Loyola. So tell me about the business and how it's provided you uh, doors of opportunity. Yeah, so I, so as I said, my parents were veterinarians. And I started painting when I was really young. And I used to have to go to work with my parents every Saturday or more, but for sure every Saturday. And I would sit in the exam room or the waiting room or wherever in the office and paint everybody's pets. They came in. And so I got better at it. You know, my parents enrolled me in private art classes. I took art classes in school. I took a million summer camps, you know, as many as I could. And I got better at it to the point where their clients would start paying me to paint their pets as, you know, a 13 year old. And it's pretty cool when, you know, as a 13 year old, you're, you have a job and you're making your own money. And um, now, unfortunately, or fortunately, the flip side of that is my mother told me I had to start buying my own stuff. Um, obviously, not the things I needed, but the things I wanted, right? So extra clothes, extra toys, whatever. I had to start buying all that myself, but that's okay. Um, it made me learn money management very early. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, and my parents own their business. So I grew up watching somebody run a business, right? So I grew up, you know, learning about taxes and budgets and um, money and uh, what it takes to keep an office space clean and organized and how to handle staff and that kind of thing. And so it was just natural. Like when I got into art and then I decided to go into graphic design and art in college, um, it was like, there was no question. I, I think I entertained the idea of joining a design firm, uh, a local design firm for like a couple weeks. And then I just said, no, I really want to own my own business, you know, because a, a, I like the control, <laughs> um, honestly. There's but nothing B, like being your own boss. Huh? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but B, like technically for me, you know, when I break something or I hurt or um, I need to lay down or I need to, you know, I need these accommodations. If I'm working out of my home, I can all those accommodations for myself, you know, or if, you know, I, I didn't sleep well because of pain or whatever, and I need a couple extra hours in the morning, and then I can just work later at night. You know, you can't do that when you work for somebody else. Um, so it, it just technically made my life easier to start my own business. But it's hard, you know, you can ask anybody who freelances, like, you know, it's, it's hard to find clients. Um, a lot of it is word of mouth. Uh, again, it's putting yourself out there and just hoping that something sticks. Um, a lot of my clients have come from word of mouth, but, 
but others have come from social media and Facebook and uh, through my mom's practice and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely opened some, some pretty big doors. I actually, this is my latest, I had uh, an interview. I was spotlighted in Adobe's uh, international conference last year, which was super exciting. Um, only a few artists all over the world get that opportunity every year. And they actually came into my house and did this whole um, 10 minute video about my life and my art and um, just my day to day routine. And it aired uh, on the conference site and it was viewed by like 40,000 people that day. So that was pretty exciting. Um, it's on my YouTube channel if you want to look at it. But uh, it was, yeah. And so, I mean, I've had some pretty good, some pretty decent opportunities recently, you know. Well, congratulations on such a big uh, opportunity in your career. I know that you uh, relish the opportunity to get noticed. And uh, certainly you've uh, taken the word and perseverance and uh, turned it on its head, huh? <laughs> I try. I try. That was pretty crazy, though. That that literally did fall into my lap. I mean, that was like, a okay, somebody canceled. Do you want to do it? And I mean, I knew about a day and a half ahead of time. And we had a film crew of 10 people in our house for 11 hours. And it was it was insane. But anyway, it was well, yeah, absolutely. Catherine, I always say that everything in life happens for a reason, doesn't it? Definitely. And uh, after nearly a decade in business, I'm, I'm fascinated to ask you, what, what keeps you sustainable and what keeps you going? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I have really great family and I have really great friends who are basically my family. Um, and I... Um, you know, I love, I love going to music event, like live music events. Um, I joke that I live for my next concert because uh, like one of my favorite things in the world is going to see live music. And now that COVID has kind of calmed down a little bit, we actually get to see some live music. So that's really exciting. Um, so that, that keeps me going in the short term. In the long term, I mean... You know, I feel like I have an opportunity to share a very different perspective that most people don't even think about. You know, I like, for example, I was with somebody the other day who knows me really well. You know, this is somebody who spends a couple of days a week with me um, every week. And we went to somebody's house and there was one step up into the house. And I said before we went you know, can I get into their house? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one story. It's no problem. But she forgot about the step up because it doesn't dawn on her. You know, I mean, she can walk up the step, you know, but I can't. Right. So it didn't even dawn on her that, my, you know, I, and this is somebody who knows me well, you know, so people who um, don't live with somebody with um, a disability or, or don't have one themselves, it's just not even a thought for them. And it, um, 
it's nice to bring awareness, you know, sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so uh, I always tell people that you're, you're, you're your best self-advocate, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, and, you know, I'm really lucky because my parents advocated for me very, very well when I was a kid. And then they taught me how to advocate for myself, you know, as an adult. And that's, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that. And I'm just, I'm really lucky that I did. That That's certainly important. And it, it's a skill to advocate, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes you got to be mean. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to cut through the noise and get to the heart of the matter, don't you? Exactly. Tell it like it is. <laughs> and tell them, how do you define the word possibilities? Uh, how do I define the word possibilities? I think, I mean, possibilities are, you know, that's, that's actually a really hard question. Um, you know, there's part of me that wants to say, like, you can do anything you set your mind to, right? That's kind of cliche, but, you know, there's part of me that wants to say that. But, of course, like, I mean, I can't, like, flap my wings and fly, right? No matter how much I set my mind to it, I don't have wings and I can't fly, right? Um, so, so, I think that the word possibility, it is, you can... Do anything you can set your mind to within reason. You know, I, um, like for me, I, there are some goals I have as an artist that I think I can achieve, you know, but there are, like, for example, um, there are some goals I have that, or there are some goals that I had as a child that clearly I'm not going to achieve. For example, when I was 10, I was obsessed with the movie Free Willy. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I have, yeah. I loved that movie, okay? I mean, I watched that movie all the time, all of them, all the time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a killer whale trainer. Like, that was all I wanted to do for, like, two or three years. That is all I wanted to do. And clearly, like, that would be very difficult for me to be, you know, like, I am a small snack for a killer (laughs) whale. You know, like, clearly, that probably wouldn't happen a, because, you know, of the whole disability thing. And B, I hate cold water. So, like, that would not, it's not a good match. You know, so, yes, perhaps it's possible. But, I mean, highly unlikely, right? So, I, I think, um, I think possibility is you can, you can do what you want to, like I said, within reason. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you uh, define uh, success and progress in the in the future in the future when it comes to uh, diversity, equity, and, and inclusion? How do you think we can continue to break down those barriers? Well, I think the more inclusion that happens in every situation, the more successful. you know, the society is, right? I I think the more situations we have where we can include people with disabilities, people of different races, different religions, whatever it is, right? Um, I think the more successful we'll be because the more perspectives we'll have, 
And I think the more, the more different ways you have to look at a problem, the more likely you are to find the best solution. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think involving all kinds of people in the workplace, in social environments, in schools and education. Um, I mean, I think that is probably the key to success. Yeah, absolutely. And you had mentioned earlier that you have a love for music. And I have to tell you, Catherine, you live right in the heart of New Orleans. So you've got a full, full diversity of music options, don't you? We do. We do. We're actually um, about to have Jazz Fest, which is a huge festival here in New Orleans. It's one of the biggest in the country. And uh, that's coming up at the end of the month. So we're very excited about that because it has not happened in two years. And Jazz Fest, I'm sure all of your listeners have heard of Mardi Gras. Um, and Jazz Fest is about as crazy as Mardi Gras. Like we we really live it up for Jazz Fest. Uh, it's seven days of music and it's just, it's hot. And, and you know, you get sunburned and, but the food is amazing and, um, the music is amazing. There's lots of headliners, like big, you know, international names, but also lots of local bands. And so they kind of combine that. And it's it's so much fun. Well, no, nobody knows how to throw a party like the people of New Orleans, right? That is true. That is true. We party well down there. Uh, absolutely. And I, I'm wondering your greatest hope for your personal and professional future. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I, I don't really know. As I said, I throw a lot of things up against the wall and see what sticks. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I have a couple of opportunities that I'm pursuing professionally right now, which I don't want to mention quite yet because nothing is set in stone. Um, Until but, it actually happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't. Hey, I don't want to jinx myself, um, but but I I've got one particular collaboration possibly that um, is looking good at the moment that uh, would professionally be a very good uh, it, it'd be a good jump for me. Let's put it that way. What? So, That's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, that would be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me, how do you think you want your personal and professional legacy to be defined? Um, you know, I, I always say that I hope that, um, people enjoy my art, you know, and, and it bring, and my story affects them in some kind of way. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is watching people who physically have, you know, they have it all, right. They have full body function and, and they have enough money and they have, um, you know, the potential to do a lot and they just don't do anything. Um, and so I hope that there, those people look at my story and say, oh, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Right. And as cliche as that sounds, um, <laughs> I think, I think stories like that help people, you know, they help, it helps them move forward. And yeah, I mean, if I could do that for some people, that would be great. It helps to put things in perspective, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And my final question for you is, I'm wondering if you have a parting message to anybody who may be 
watching and listening to this about the importance of acceptance and inclusion of all people. I'm wondering if you would have a final or a parting message you would want to share. Um, I guess, I mean, I feel like we've kind of touched on all of it, but uh, the biggest thing I think is just don't judge people right when you look at them. Um, because I, you know, obviously I'm sure you experience this as well, right? I mean, you go out in public and strangers look at you and they make certain assumptions right away, I'm mm -hmm. sure, right? And yes. um, mine are usually, the assumptions I usually get are that I'm a child or that I'm deaf, which I, I don't quite understand. I do have some hearing issues on one side, but like, I, I'm not sure how short equates with deaf. I mean, with death, but apparently it does in public. But um, anyway, I, uh, you know, it's annoying. It's frustrating. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I guess, just try to be more aware and try not to draw conclusions that you have no evidence for. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And finally, Catherine, tell me if, People want to get connected with you. What's the best way they can do that? Yes. So I am on Facebook and Instagram. And my website is K-A-K-A-R-T-N-O-L-A.com. So it's my initials, kakartnola.com. Oh, fabulous. Well, I have to tell you, Catherine, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. And I want to thank you for the work that you do to advocate for inclusion, diversity, and equity on behalf of individuals with disabilities. Uh, your work in the space and uh, time on my behalf is most appreciated, and I want to thank you for being here this afternoon. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.